Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm so happy to be back with you. You're talking to Technicia, the host of The Bright Side with Technicia. I'm just glad to be back. I know I've been gone for a minute, and I know I shouldn't have left you, (laughs) but I'm here now. So good afternoon. We're looking at 12.02 p.m. on September 20, 2018. Can you believe how fast this year is coming almost to an end? Because I really can't believe it, like, we're going to be saying Happy New Year's all over again. Fall weather is coming in Saturday, so I'm ready for that, ready to have on the boots, get my coat out. I'm ready. Not ready for the cold that's about to come and the sore throat, but everything else I'm ready for the dress, the dressing and all that. Um, oh, wow. I'm just so overwhelmed, but I'm glad to be back with you guys. I know you probably missed me, but anyhow, enough today. I'm here with Cindy Warren, who is a certified yoga and meditation teacher and a lifelong student of the practice. She is passionate about sharing the wisdom and beauty of the practice of yoga with others. In her new book, which I have the pleasure of having, Radiate, Using the Practice of Yoga to Cultivate Your Inner Shine, she makes a persuasive case for the continued relevance of the philosophical underpinnings of yoga for the modern yogi and even simpler than yoga. Curious, Cindy lives in Shaker Heights, Ohio, where she teaches yoga and meditation, has a legal consulting business, and is raising a family. Cindy grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and went to Tufts University for her undergraduate degree and Stanford Law School for her law degree. She has been passionate about learning and growing, whether in a classroom, a courtroom, a yoga studio, or within the parameters of her own heart and soul. The practice of yoga provides Cindy with a platform which to do just that. Learn and grow. As a teacher of the practice, she seeks to share her passion and knowledge with her students. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Cindy Warren onto the show. Cindy, thank you so much for taking out time to be here today. I really appreciate you. Can you hear me? All right. It appears we got Cindy on. But somewhere we're having technical difficulties, we're going to end up getting Cindy on, most definitely. We're not going to let this go in vain or stop us from our shine today. So we're going to end up getting Cindy on this show. Yes, we are. Just give me a second, everyone, and we'll be right back after this. Roger's my name. 
All right, everyone, we're back. I have on the line, yes, I do, who is a certified yoga and meditation teacher and a lifelong student of the practice. So we're going to give it a round two again. Great. Are you there? I am here. I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you, Sid. I knew it was a go. See, I don't give up on nothing either because I said we have to have this show. We're not going to let it go in vain. <laughs> so, of course, I have the book in my hand. Yes. And it's so cute. I love it. It's darling. I love having books. I, I love audio books, but it's nothing like the pleasure of having those pages ripple through your fingers. Oh, the print. Love it. But I want to ask this for my first question with you, Cindy. When did you first start practicing yoga? It was about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more, that I first found my way onto the yoga mat. Oh, wow. Now, explain a little bit, because I know, as I have learned from my other guests, yoga is very a depth thing. It's not just what you're saying, namaste and doing stretches and warrior one. Right. Right. So it's interesting because I was first drawn to the practice really just for the physical, because honestly, I kept hearing about what a great workout this thing called yoga was. And so that's what first brought me to it. And then really before too long, I started to notice how I felt so much better and calmer and more peaceful after a practice, and I started to look into what are the deeper, what's the deeper meaning of what I'm doing here, and started studying a little bit. Right. I get, yes, ma'am. I definitely understand that. So what is it exactly about the practice that appeals to you? Part of it is the integration of mind and body and intellect and spirit, And part of it is that yoga is so much more than the physical practice and that there are the the ancient philosophy going back thousands of years really gives us very practical tools to make our lives better, more peaceful, more compassionate. And I found that the non-physical parts of the practice have been the most meaningful in my life. Awesome. And it's amazing because in your book you described it, this yoga goes 5,000 years back. So this been out for decades, centuries amongst us, and it's been passed on from teacher to everybody. Right. And one of the most now, interesting things about the history is that some of the uh-huh. realizations or discoveries that ancient yogis made about what leads to inner peace and even just outer wellness and health is now being verified by recent scientific studies. So these uh, these ancient yogis from India were definitely on to something. Wow. Now, not only did you start practicing, but this led you up to become a yoga teacher. So how long have you been a yoga teacher? Let me see. Just about four years, maybe a little under four years, I was on um, – very steeped in my practice as a student, both 
in terms of the physical practice and also meditation and then just study and philosophy for many years before I ever thought, hey, maybe I want to be a teacher. Oh, wow. And what led up to that decision to want to start teaching yoga? At first, I thought it would just be a way to deepen my own practice and my own knowledge base. And I quickly discovered that I love teaching yoga. I love it. I can't say which I love more, teaching yoga or practicing yoga. And that quickly became a very big part of my life. So I didn't go into it thinking I would become a teacher or certainly an author, um, but it really sparked something deep within me. And teaching is where I feel very present and very connected, and it's been a real joyful addition to my life. class yesterday, and I was like, I need to do that because you become one. You start hearing things that you wouldn't possibly think that you could actually hear when you become in tune with your inner self. It's so deep. Right. You can almost probably hear birds outside your window from far away. Not the bird that's chirping at your window, but this right. is very. This is this is this is almost like doing an actual prayer with yourself. Right, right. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. Now, Cindy, what actually gave you the idea for radiate? Did I say that correctly? You did, yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a play on words. So it's pronounced radiate, just like the word, but oh. after the R-A-D-I, there's the number eight instead of the rest of the word. And what okay. prompted me to write the book, which is really essentially a modern yogi's take on the ancient eight-limb path of the yoga philosophy, was that I noticed that so many yoga practitioners – don't know the deeper philosophy. They don't know that yoga is anything more than, as you said, downward dog, warrior one, and then we finish with namaste. They don't know the history, the practical tools that yoga offers us to really make our lives better. So I was inspired to share that knowledge that I've gleaned over my years as a student and then a teacher with others. Why? Now, in your opinion, who should probably read this book? Is it for all age limits, or are we talking about maybe teen on up? Yeah, I think teenagers could absolutely read it, but probably, um, you know, I do sort of talk about some deeper things such as, or challenging things such as an eating disorder I once struggled with. So absolutely, a teenager on up. Anyone who already practices yoga or keeps hearing about the personal health, mental benefits of the practice, that is curious about the practice, um, or anyone who is considering even becoming a teacher. I think it could be for a very wide-ranging audience. And I love the fact that your book actually breaks down all the limbs that um, you discuss. You talk about the yamas, and that's what I want to ask. What exactly is yama? Yamas are ethical constraints that relate to how we interact with the world around us. So it's spelled Y-A-M-A-S. And the yamas are actually the first of the eight-part philosophy that is laid out in ancient yoga texts and also in my book. Okay. I got you. So what is exactly is the main message overall when you intake this book? 
Yeah, I think probably the first of the yamas is the main message of all five of them. The first is called mm-hmm. ahimsa, which means nonviolence or non-harming. And it really asks us to take a deep dive examination into how we interact with the world around us. So even if we're not literally committing violence, might we be committing violence or otherwise doing harm through our words? Do we gossip, for example, through our diets? Are we selective about what we eat and how the food is grown? Um, Even our thoughts, our internal dialogue, are we talking to ourselves as if we love ourselves or as if we can't stand ourselves? So ahimsa, I think, encapsulates really a tremendous amount of yoga philosophy as a whole. Right. And as you read further into the book, I mean, it gives you practices to do with each one, getting out a journal. Some of them consider you to use a yoga mat. They tell you how to purify your body, clean this, even your office, your whole environment. And then that's what we talk about on my affirmations with my mentor. Your environment, it starts with your environment. Everything starts with your environment. If you change your environment, if you can't remember to floss your teeth, what do you do? You put your floss out, as I have done many of times, to put it out. That reminds me I need to floss my teeth so you don't forget. So once you change your environment, you change your habits more over. Right. And it's really, yeah, and it's... I love that. It's That's such a lovely example about the floss, and it's really about being intentional. So what is it you want to create in your life? You know, in your example there, Technisha, healthy teeth. Um, so how do you do that? You set yourself up for success. You put out your floss. You can do the same sort of exercise with any part of your house, and also then you can draw that inward and look at your inner dialogue, how you talk to yourself. Yes, ma'am, I do. I agree with every bit of it. Now, for most, sometimes yoga can seem like an exclusive kind of club. What do you actually think about that? I think that's. I think there is some truth to that. There are parts of westernized modern yoga that might appear to be all about the posture or the fancy clothes or how the body looks. Um, and I think that's misleading. I think yoga is meant to be, and in my mind, is a very all-inclusive, welcoming, supportive practice. And so if if anyone who's listening to your show is turned off by that perception of yoga being kind of an exclusive club, um, I invite them to look beyond whatever exposure to yoga they have. The good thing about the, the unbelievably quick spread of yoga throughout the West is that there's probably a yoga studio closely you know, close to just about anyone listening to this, there is such a wide mm-hmm. variety of types of yoga and types of teachers and types of practices um, that if you haven't found the kind of yoga that clicks with you yet, just keep looking. Right. Keep searching because it takes, it takes baby steps. This is not something that you're going to do overnight. It takes practice and well-disciplined to me. Now, when, Absolutely. So, so as we, we talked about the eight limbs of the yoga path, let's go a little bit more in depth, um, Cindy, to exactly or how were they thought through, like who who saw these limbs? Um, how how were they actually sure that these were the 
actual limbs that everybody needs to follow. Right, right. So as you said, yoga does go back 5,000 years approximately. And for many of those years, it was passed as an oral tradition from teacher to students, from, you know, the student would then become a teacher, teach more students, etc. And it wasn't until um, Patanjali, who is an ancient sage, wrote what's called the Yoga Sutras, which is considered one of, if not the absolute preeminent text of yoga philosophy. And he codified what had before then been an oral tradition. So he laid out the eight-limb path of yoga in the Yoga Sutras, and it's been a source of a lot of examination and exposition and study ever since then. Right. Okay. Now, why do you think most people in the West who practice yoga don't actually know about all these parts of the practice? I think the westernized version of yoga has been overly focused and sometimes even exclusively focused on the physical practice. So if you look up, you know, the hashtag yoga on Instagram, you're likely to just see physical postures and most likely fancy um, postures that look really hard to get into. And so it sort of creates this image that this is what yoga is. And if someone just goes to a yoga class and starts practicing physical yoga, their teacher may or may not speak to the other aspects of yoga. It could be an um, experience that's just devoted completely to the physical practice. And that gives the idea, which is really um, an erroneous one, that that's all yoga is. So I've practiced in many different studios over many different years, and I have found some teachers that are very skilled at teaching during a physical practice about the other more philosophical, more internal aspects of yoga. And I've also taken many classes where that's not the case, where if I didn't know, I would walk out and just think, oh, I just got an hour of pretty good exercise in. Now, when it comes to that part of finding someone who can actually help you through this process, Cindy, how do you go about knowing if they're real or if they're fake? That's a great question. I think there's a process of trial and error that's involved, and I think there's also some individual discernment that has to go to go on with the practitioner or the the student or potential student. So it may be a process of checking out different teachers, seeing who and what style resonates with you. And it could it would be very helpful for someone who's looking to get into the practice to read Radiate or another introductory book about the larger aspects of yoga so that they're really educated and know what to look for in a skilled teacher. Right. Now, is the physical practice of yoga actually enough for some people, or should they just go a little farther? I'm not one to preach to students. So for some, first of all, they may only be looking for physical, and that's all they want to hear about, and I certainly wouldn't dissuade them from continuing to enjoy um, the benefits of the physical practice. Personally, though, I do think there's so much more there to learn and so much more skill to be obtained other than just poses. Um, so I, I think 
more is required for a deeper spiritual exploration. But I think you can also Mm -hmm. make the argument that during the physical practice, you can study the ethical components. You can, you can engage in breath work. You can even meditate while you're moving. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm hedging my bets on that, on that question. (laughs) (laughs) Now is, do you think modern yoga has watered down too much of the spirituality of the practice? I do. I think yoga is intended to be a highly spiritual practice. And, you know, mm-hmm. we can debate what the term spiritual means, whether it's just a connection with a deeper part of yourself or a connection with the world around you. It doesn't, in my opinion, have to be a connection with something um, beyond the natural world, although it certainly could be. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I think the most growth I've seen in my life and in the lives of my students goes beyond the four corners of the yoga mat and beyond the four walls of the yoga studio. So to me, I think the real richness of yoga is really encapsulated in the philosophy. Right. I I, I have to say I agree with you, Cindy that the way now yoga has been taken on with most classes, we got all these books, magazines, articles, websites, and blogs on yoga, and it's so different from traditional yoga, the ancient stages, that it can be fairly called not yoga. Right. A teacher and of mine once then, referred to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Technicia. Oh, I was just going to say that years ago, traditional yoga it was always, usually taught orally. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Years ago, a teacher of mine had sort of a funny term for all this hoopla in, um, you know, the media and social media in particular about yoga that's not really yoga, and she called it boga, like bogus yoga. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. It is. It is funny because it's, I mean, people take things, we, it's a trend now. So everybody's going to do what they can, possibly, to, everything is a commodity. So, hey, if I can make right. money off of it, who cares what, I'm, what how people feel about it, if they're getting it correctly or mentally, spiritually, it doesn't matter. No one is going back to these teachings that were actually taught decades ago. That's why I love what I do when I have these shows, to let people know this is real, this is what's out here. And what you think is real is sometimes not always real. So people need to know that yoga is more than what we see from on TV. I I don't even know how it even started. I would right. probably need to go back to search of how did this even start from people taking what was traditional into that. Now we make it an exercise class and go stretch and get your mat. It, it's amazing. Yeah, and I think you're right when you, you know, a lot of it is driven by the commercialization of yoga and everything else. How do you make money? You make it into something where you need a fancy man, fancy clothes, and, you know, fancy studios and that sort of thing, which really takes it away from the original message. Right. To be honest, people, you've been duped. That's what's going on. We've been duped. We've been brainwashed, and we need to get back into what's actually real out here, but that's why we have to do our own research. So is this yoga philosophy that you actually describe a religion? 
I don't think so. To me, I, I would give an emphatic no. I know there can be or perhaps there is some disagreement on this. To me, yoga yeah. is a really secular philosophy that coexists beautifully with any religion or the complete lack of religion. So, for example, and there may even be some overlap in the ethical precepts, for example. So the yama of ahimsa that I spoke of earlier, nonviolence, is going to show up as a value or a rule or a tenet of, you know, all of the major religions. So that would be an area where there's some overlap. But I think for the most part, yoga is not a religion. It's really just a way to live skillfully in this world. Right. But this is where Hinduism and Buddhism was arrived from, right, Cindy? Well, they definitely have some underpinnings in yoga. And some of the famous yoga texts uh, do fall squarely within Hinduism and or Buddhism. Um, So, yeah, there can be some overlap there. But the yoga philosophy that I write about that is first spelled out in the Yoga Sutras is not either Hindu or Buddhist. It's it's simply yoga. Okay. I, I got you. I understand now. So do you think yeah. any parts of the philosophy conflict with some religious beliefs? I don't think any parts of the philosophy contradict any religious beliefs that I'm aware of, aware of. But I would invite the practitioner to, again, this is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach. I think it's something that is meant to be very inclusive and something that the, the practitioner and it, or it, the reader of the book radiates can review, discern, say, I want to adopt this practice. I don't want to adopt that practice. My religion already covers that one. Um, So it can definitely be a pick-and-choose sort of path. It's not all or nothing, in my opinion. And I love the fact that you give your certain meals. For one, you don't have to send a person like shake because that's uncomfortable as ever. Um, Just to meditate, you, you talk about all these different things because if we said, Yoga has taken it to the max. You find it on Instagram. You find a hashtag of everything about yoga. It's like, wait a minute. I'm just so confused. But it comes from not knowing. Yeah. Um, no one talks I, I, thing. No thing. I think that's exactly right. And so it's incumbent upon us modern practitioners to, as you said before, Technisha, to educate ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much, and the book is so simple, and it's definitely an easy read. It's not overly complicated, very short, not long, so there are no excuses to why you cannot finish up the book whatsoever. It's straight, <laughs> to, the, it's straight to the point, like everything is intently set up for you to understand. you got your practices in here. They, she talks about the milk. I don't know what else a person could possibly want out of this book. To me, it's right to the point of everything that you need to know. And basically, overall, what I'm getting from is that yoga is nothing to be taken lightly. It's not a joke. It's something seriously that people take and people, as Miss Cindy said, taking and have ran away with it to make money off of it. But it's all about brainwashing. That's what this America is based on. This flag is based on commodity. Who can I make money off of? and which and every other way. But I want to ask this, the the last limb, 
samadhi or enlightenment seem really out of reach? Is it even worth striving for? I think it is. So, yes, as you mentioned, of the eight limbs, number eight is called samadhi. That's the Sanskrit word. It, It translates as enlightenment. And you could certainly, and I'm sure many um, yogis and yoga teachers would argue, that's completely out of reach. It's not anything we can attain in our lifetime unless we happen to be Gandhi or someone like that. I take a much more accessible approach to the idea of enlightenment. As I, as you just described, I take a pretty accessible approach to each of the eight limbs. And to me, samadhi is really more about tapping into the interconnectedness that surrounds us. So you and I have never met face-to-face, but here we are having this meaningful conversation, and there's a connection there. And there's a part of me that's just speaking directly to that, that deep part of you that exists within every human being on this earth. So feeling into that, not just as an intellectual idea, but as a heartfelt experience is a way, in my opinion, to get a glimpse of samadhi or enlightenment. Okay. Well, what I want to do, I want to take a short commercial break. Man, Cindy have been at it, and this conversation is so intriguing. Don't even want to take a commercial break, but I am, and we're going to be right back after this. So soon you listen to Blog Talk Radio. Listen, my life changed because someone was there to get me to use drugs. No one can understand. Whether or not they've struggled with addiction themselves, people seem to think that having someone who will listen is going to help make it better. I'm realizing that I... I need help. I'm listening. I need help. I'm realizing that I think that having someone who will listen is going to help make it better. Whether or not they've struggled with addiction themselves, people seem to understand. No one can get me to use drugs. My life changed because someone was there to listen. One in seven Americans will struggle with addiction during their lifetime. Want to know how you can help? Go to heretolisten.com for tips and tools to help turn addiction around. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council. All right, I'm back with Cindy Warren, who is the author of Radiate, using a practice of yoga to cultivate your inner shine, which she began learning yoga in 2003 at a time in her life when she was dealing with some challenging transition. And we have been in discussions, and mainly overall, that yoga has been taken out of context. It is a spiritual that many of us have swayed away that we don't even know we swayed away because of the commodity that people are actually making off of it now and changing it into a funny trend, and you'll find all those hashtags on Instagram if you pull it up and on Facebook. So we're trying to get people back to the reality of things to get them more open. So that's what this is all about. That's why I do this show. So, Cindy, a lot of the philosophy you describe seems to talk about non-attachment as an ideal or as a way out of suffering. Do you really think we should not be attached to our loved ones to the things that bring us joy and meaning in this world? So I'd like to just back up for a little bit and maybe explain a little bit this idea that you're absolutely right. In yoga philosophy, there is a lot of buzz about non-attachment. So the yogis tell us that when we are attached to anything, really, we suffer. 
And you can sort of examine your life and say, you know, you may have this story or this narrative in your head of I'll be happy when or I'll be happy if and only if. And we get attached to the way we want things to be or the way we think things should be. And that does lead to suffering. If we didn't have expectations other than, you know, we, we're here today, hopefully we'll be here tomorrow, and so on and so forth, um, there would be so much less suffering. So I think that this idea can be um, confusing to a lot of practitioners. You might think it means, oh, so just don't care. Like if you're not, non-attachment must mean don't really love your family or don't really care about your professional goals. It really doesn't mean that at all. I think of non-attachment as a way of actually removing your selfish desire from the situation. And that ironically leaves you more free to be present and to be fully engaged with whatever you're, whatever it is you're doing or with the people that you love. So it's absolutely not a care less kind of advice. It's more of how can we care better, more effectively, more skillfully. And when we let go of the idea that things are supposed to be the way we want them to be, or when we chase after things we like or push away things we don't like, when we move away from that, we can really find our way out of suffering. Okay. That does, now, that makes better sense. I was like, wait a minute, should I not love my husband or my kids? So I'm All glad right. you explained that very <laughs> Now, if you had to pick one of the yama, external restraints to focus on, which one would it be and why? Hmm. Probably, I think it really does for me start with, I hate to just keep talking about ahimsa, nonviolence, but that really I think is the under the underlying philosophical or ethical constraint of all of the philosophy. So I think that we could all take just a deeper dive. What does that mean to be go through life without harming? So for myself, for example, you know, examining my diet, as I mentioned earlier, am I going to eat animal products? If I do, where, what is the source of the animal products? How are the animals treated during their life? Um, and that sort of thing. It also, I think, is a way to explore how you even think about people, the world, yourself. So yoga is in so many ways an internal process where we draw ourselves inward and then observe what's going on in our hearts and our minds. Um, and I think ahimsa, this whole idea of non-harming and non-violence, can just apply at so many different levels, how we engage in the world, how we engage in our homes, how we engage in our own hearts. Now, Candy, you put everything in in a well-perspective manner. I mean, I can listen to her all day. It just so, <laughs> it's well, it's so, like, the worth is, um Now, if you had to pick one of the Niyama's internal restraints to focus on, which one would it be? Oh, there are a couple I would have a hard time choosing between. One is called Santosha, which means contentment. And it's really mm-hmm. the idea, you know, these all do start to tie together. So in yoga philosophy, you find santosha or contentment within. So you draw yourself inward and you find gratitude for what you have or joy for something little that happened in your day. 
So it's really, again, sort of like I was talking about with Ahimsa, this way of directing the student or the practitioner's focus inward and then just being okay with whatever is there. So one thing I talk about in the book, for example, is in my I'm now in my mid-40s, in my mid-20s, I really struggled from an eating disorder, a binge eating disorder, and I discuss how it wasn't until I could – ironically be okay with where I was and who I was that I could start to heal and the irony is that I wanted so badly to change and to be healthy and to be happy but I couldn't start to get there until I said okay where you are is just fine and I think Santosha is the Niyama that directs us to that place okay now I'm understanding so you really have to be comfortable where you are already so like the example of when you go into working out you have to already be comfortable of who you are before you work out because i get that a lot oh well you must not appreciate that you're this way or you're slim no no no. i appreciate me i just want to improve on right right absolutely and not to put off going to the gym or engaging in some kind of self-care ritual whether it's exercise or meditation or anything else walking, tending to your garden, et cetera, not waiting to do that until you think you're enough or you're okay. Like start where you are. Let this moment be enough. And the irony is the improvement, the enhancement, uh, the growth will then happen much more quickly. Right. All about that growth. Growth is a strong process. Oh, man. What if yeah. – someone has no interest in going to a yoga studio and engaging in a physical part of practice, can he or she still practice yoga? Absolutely. Yoga is something so much more than the physical practice, and it can be something completely apart from the physical practice. So if someone were to pick up the book Radiate, start engaging in the practices, the simple techniques offered in the book, um, developing some kind of a mindfulness or a meditation practice. Yeah, that person is practicing yoga. No downward dog required. <laughs> okay, some of them yoga moves actually be hurting too. If you if you have a stretch, you'll definitely feel them. You'll be like, wait, right. man, hold on now. You, you take me out of my element. Wait, come on now. Sure. Right. Now, right. after everything, Cindy, what has probably been the the greatest gift for the practice in your own life? I think I would have to say the practice has helped me cultivate space between stimulus and response. And what I mean by that is by nature, I'm a pretty impatient, quick type A personality. And I also think I naturally have a pretty high level of reactivity And yoga has taught me to slow down, to be more reflective and less reactive. And if something comes up that doesn't sit right with me, whether it's, you know, uh, something that happens in my legal consulting business or a conversation I'm having with my teenage daughter, I'm better than I would be had I not engaged in the yoga practice for the last decade and a half in terms of my ability to stay calm, to consider my word choices and my action, and then to move through the world with a little more skill. I think that's 
kind of a long answer, but it's really helped me. It's that space that yoga has created for me in my life. Okay. I love it, Cindy. I mean, this interview has been the most enlightening interview ever, and I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm rejuvenated and refreshed from listening from it, and I'm hoping everybody goes out and gets this book. Cindy, would you mind telling everyone where they can um, buy your book from? I would be honored. So the book is called Radiate, R-A-D-I and the number eight, by Cindy Warren, and I spell my name with an S, S-I-N-D-Y, and it's on Amazon. That's probably the easiest place to get it. It's also on my website, which is www.yoga8book.com. Oh, thank you. And before Cindy leaves and before you leave too, listeners, you know I got to give you the truth for the day, and I think this is in connection with what we already um, experienced today on the show, and it's from my friend and a former guest, Mary Ellen Signovich. Your mind is limitless if you allow it to be. Shift your mind, begin inviting more wealth, health, and abundance into your life. Open your thinking to greater possibilities. When you face a problem, misperception in your life, view it as an opportunity to grow, which we with Cindy kept saying today, and learn two potential outcomes, a positive and a negative. No matter what outcome is born from your choice, use it as an opportunity to grow. Today, I want everyone to shift your mindset, inviting more possibilities for health and abundance. Enjoy the day, everyone, and please make sure you go out and get Cindy Warren's book. It's a must. It should be on your bookshelf. Give it to someone as a gift. Value, value, service, service. That's what this is all about. Spread the word. And if you listen to the replay, share it with your friends and your family. I'll see you next time on A Bright Side with Technicia. And God bless. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 